So, all true Christians um, want the best for their children. And uh, when the doctor or the midwife puts that child in your hands for the first time, there is such joy, it's almost indescribable, right? God has blessed us with this child. And as Christians, we long for the child to grow up in the faith, to continue in like-mindedness, like faith, to, in other words, be a Christian. Um, But there are a couple approaches to that that we have in um, our world today, in the Christian world today, Um, and and these approaches um, uh, are quite different. So some do this with just wishful wishful thinking, wishful thinking, right? Hopeful thinking. Well, I hope this child or my children turn out okay. I hope that they will follow along in the faith, and so those hopeful parents bring their children to church, they put them into Sunday school, they might go and send them to Awana, um, or if you're Reformed and Presbyterian, you enroll them in a catechism class, uh, you know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism or Heidelberg, and let somebody else teach them these things, and later on, these same Christians will send their young adult to a Christian college, again, hoping that they will become a Christian, um, hoping that things at some point will stick with our children, hoping that one of these avenues will make the difference that will lead their child to faith, that somewhere along the way they will hear the gospel and make a profession of faith. The other approach, and I would argue a far more biblical approach than wishful thinking approach, is for the parents to be deliberate about their child rearing. So a key word there, deliberate about their child rearing. That is taking responsibility. All right, another key word, responsibility for our children and how we raise them in the faith. That is what the Lord our God expects of Christian parents and grandparents to be diligent about deliberately teaching our children what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a disciple of Christ Jesus, a son of God, a daughter of God. So this evening we're to look at, and we're going to look at why Christian, or why children raised in a Christian home depart from the faith, and what to do about it to be deliberate about raising children in the faith. So my operating assumptions are a couple things. I know Caleb last night gave you some of his operating assumptions, so I figured I'd better do the same thing. Actually, I did this before I even listened to him. I listened to him on the way down here. So, and so the first one is that God's Word in its entirety, Old Testament and New Testament, is the Word of God for God's people of all ages. Just one amen? Amen. (laughs) Right? It's it's for God's people. Old Testament, New Testament, it's one word. It's the word of God for God's people of all ages. It's not just the New Testament, but the word is God's word, all of it. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correction, rebuke, training, and righteousness that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? So, secondly, the second operating assumption is that people and their natures 
are basically the same from the time of the garden until now. People are people. Right? These, it's not radically different. Our basic nature is the same. And so when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at the Word of God, these aren't radically different people in their basic desires and needs and, and all of that than what we are. Right? We are basically the same. People are people. All right? And I've, this, I, this, and maybe I'm, because I'm slow, um, radically came to me when I was preaching in, in Nepal and I was talking about husbands and wives out of Ephesians 5. And they got all my jokes because women are women, men are men, and we got it. <laughs> we were all connecting. So people are people, whether you're in the Old Testament way back when or us today. Okay? C.S. Lewis wrote about the chronological snobbery, right? He wrote about chronological snobbery and the arrogance of the modern man. That is, we think because we're here now that we know so much more than past generations of those ignorant people, those primitive people. I mean, golly, we got iPhones, right? We got iPhones. Look at this. It's amazing, right? We got iPhones. We have Google for crying out loud, right? We can Google anything. Right. And the Egyptians built the pyramids, right? And an ancient people built Machu Picchu 14,000 feet up high on a mountaintop with rocks that outweigh your home. And we really smart modern people can't figure out how these primitive people did that. We can't figure out how they built the pyramids. But we're far greater than them, right? Now what we have today is accumulated knowledge. But we're more ignorant in many ways than your grandparents 100 years ago or your great-grandparents 100 years ago. For some of you little kids, your great-great-grandparents 100 years ago. Right? Try to take their 8th grade graduation exams and you'll find out how ignorant you are. And this doesn't help with those exams. <laughs> uh, so we have this accumulated knowledge. Well, that's my caveat to help us be humble as we go to God's Word. And that we're going to spend a lot of time tonight in the wonderful book of Deuteronomy because Moses lays out for us what we are to do as parents in raising our children so that they will not depart from the faith. Alright, so let's, let's read part of the text for tonight. So let's read Deuteronomy 6. And I say that because I'm assuming that you don't want your children to depart from the faith, right? Like I, I know the title of this is Why Children depart from the faith, but we don't want them to do that, right? <laughs> okay, I, I'm just checking. Right, John? Is that? Okay, all right. So let's, let's read Deuteronomy 6, 
4 through 15. So we're going to spend a, uh, the, probably the bulk of the time in Deuteronomy 6 here. So Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery." You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and He will wipe you off the face of the earth. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You for this day You've given to us. We thank You that You have blessed us to be able to be together tonight. We thank you that we are able to gather around your word and we pray that you would teach us your word, that you would correct us, that you would rebuke us, that you would train us in righteousness, that you may be glorified, lifted up and exalted. Oh Lord, be ye glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the text. Um, we're going to see tonight how the Lord God works covenantally within families to train up the next generation and why children depart from that at times. So let's first look at the, the fact that God deals with people, his, his people covenantally, within families and within the assembly of God's people in community, the church in other words. The Lord doesn't approach us, as you guys heard last night, he doesn't approach us so much as individuals, but as individuals bound together in covenant. We're connected to one another, and we're connected with one another in families and within the church. Just read through 1 Corinthians 12 to see that. But we especially see that connection in verses in verse 12:26 in 1 Corinthians and if one member suffers all the members suffer with it if one member is honored all the members rejoice with it and that's what we see here in Deuteronomy 6 look at look at verses 1 through 3 now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you to teach this is what they are to learn to know that you may observe them in the land, these commandments in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God. Here is the core of all this teaching. Here is the core of all this teaching, that you may learn to fear God and no other. Fear God and no other. Because He is holy. 
He is awesome. And there is no other like Him who deals with this world in truth and justice. And therefore, by fearing God, you learn, as we go on to the text, to keep all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you. And then this is where we see how God deals with generations that He has covenanted with and with your children who are part of the covenant. That this commandment wasn't just for you, but for you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. You see the connections there? The generational connections that are there? We're connected generationally. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. Why be careful to observe God's law, His statutes, His commandments? That it may go well with you. That it may be well with you. And that you may multiply greatly. That is, that you will thrive. You will thrive, you and your son and your grandson, as the Lord your God, the Lord God of your fathers, has promised you. You see, the Lord God of your fathers, again, this covenantal connection that, that the, as the Lord your God your fathers, of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. It will go well with you. Right? Why does God tell them these things? Right? Why is He warning God's people about keeping His commands? Commands like having no other gods before Him. And not making idols. He's telling them this because this is what we people do. Remember, we're no different. People aren't that much different than the Israelites back in this day and when, when Moses is, is speaking to them. He's saying this because we have to be reminded of how easy it is to fall into, to go headlong into the world's idolatry. And, you know, I mean, it's a good thing we don't have idolatry today. Right? I mean, maybe over in India and stuff, and Nepal, places like that you see idols. But we don't have idolatry here today. Right? Come on, man. <laughs> right? There is so much idolatry in our day, it's mind-boggling. Our treatment of the government as the Messiah who gives us largesse is an idol. Right? Idolatry of the self. Right? Idolatry of the self. That can take different forms. That can take different forms like, you know, I'm going to work out so hard so I can have this beach body so I can go out to the beach and impress everybody, Right? Or it can be the LGBTQ stuff, right? You have all of that. Idolatry of the self. Idols of sex. Right? Idols of healthcare, of school, of work. Right? All of those things can be idols. Right? We're little idol factories, as Calvin said. We are little idol factors. We shape them and love them and hold on to them and don't want to give them up. Whatever becomes more important than the Lord our God is an idol. And it is for us as Christians to break those idols down in our lives, to kick them down, to kick them to the curbside, to smash them. 
be iconoclastic. The basic command of God is found in verse 4 and 5, what Jesus called the greatest commandment in Matthew 22. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then hopefully this sounds familiar to you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is called in verse 4 the Shema. Right? It's, it's setting forth the unity of God. The one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in verse 5, we are commanded to love this one. We are commanded to love this one, God, with all that we have. And then again, we see as we go on this covenant succession. And stepping back, we are to teach our children that they are to love the Lord our God, right? So keep that in mind. And so we see this covenant succession flowing forth then into verses 6 through 9. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your houses and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The commands of God. His commandments. That's what, we are, that's what He's telling us to do. We need to know God's Word. Teach these commands, the basic command of the Shema of loving God by keeping His commandments. And who do we teach them to? What does the text say there? To your children. Right? To your children. How are we to teach these commands to our children? What's the adverb that is used there? What's the adverb that's used there? Diligently. An adverb ends in an L-Y. <laughs> diligently, right? We teach our children diligently. You know what that means? With work, sweat, toil. with deliberateness. Well, what does that look like to teach our children diligently? How does that happen? Where does this happen? It happens when we sit, when we walk, when we lie down, when we rise up. That is, in everything we do. We are to be teaching them how to know God. Teaching them to know and understand how to apply the principles of God's Word. How to apply the principles of God's law. That is, His Word applied in and to all of life. And we also mirror that when we, what we believe about the law when we're going about our tasks and things rise up that maybe we're uncomfortable with, that we don't like or whatever. And how we respond in those situations is showing our children how we obey the law of God ourselves. Right? In other words, if everything, every time something goes wrong in your life and you fly off the handle, ah, son of a murderer! Right? What are we teaching our children? Right? We're teaching our children 
that we don't believe God's sovereign over all things. Right? So we hear this, right? We are to teach our children how His Word is applied to all of life. And we think, sure, yeah, I can do that. Right? Yeah, no big deal. That's what we think. Right? No problem. I've got this. But the Lord knows us so well, doesn't He? Because in verses 10 and 11, He goes on, the Lord says this through Moses. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full. And here's the temptation that he knows Israel is going to struggle with, that all people struggle with. We struggle with this. We Americans struggle with this. And that is prosperity. Prosperity. Cotton Mather, one of the greatest minds America ever produced, who was a third-generation Puritan pastor here in America at the turn of the 18th century, surveying America at the time, wisely said, religion brought forth prosperity and the daughter destroyed or consumed the mother. Do you get that? Religion brought forth prosperity because we obeyed God's law that made us prosperous. And then when we were prosperous, our daughters and our granddaughters destroyed or consumed the mother. They ate the mother or the grandmother. In the midst of prosperity, instead of being ever more grateful and full of thanksgiving to God for His blessings to us, we forget God. Right? This is the sin. We forget God. We forget what He has done, where He has led us from to where we are today, the things that He has given to us, right? Just like with Israel, where they had all of the stuff that they didn't work for, houses, cisterns, wells, right? All of these things, you know, the trees that were planted, they didn't do any of that. God just gave it to them. That's like us, right? Ultimately, that's like us. All that we have is His, He has given it to us. He has blessed us. And we forget that. We forget that. We think our own hands made the stuff. Moses will go on to say that exact thing. We think that we worked all of this ourselves. We have forgotten God and how that He is the one that has given prosperity. Prosperity, you see, ought to make us more thankful Prosperity ought to make us more thankful. It ought to make us more joyful. It ought to make us more hopeful in the Lord. But instead, too often we forget the Lord and we begin to see our prosperity as the work of our own hands and out of a lack of thanksgiving, we begin to decline in our religious commitments and we seek after other gods, things that become more important to us than the Lord Himself. That's exactly what Moses says in verses 12-15. through 15. 
So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, right? Houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees and all of that. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, he says in verse 12, right? You've had all this blessing, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and shall take oaths in His name. Right? When Moses says this, when he says that you shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him because He is the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when Moses said this, this is the introduction to What? The Ten Commandments. This is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. He wants us to make this connection. He wants those who are reading this to make that connection. It is His shorthand to take us back to the commandments in the previous chapter and in Exodus 20. And so His implication is that when we forget God, we forget His commandments and forgetfulness leads us into sin and idolatry. And that's what he says in verse 14. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Prosperity often leads to forgetfulness. Self-reliance, descending into idolatry. So in our family, we... We uh, talk about forgetfulness, and that's the F word in our family. Okay? That's what we call the F word. Don't use the F word. Right? So what our children will say. Well, I forgot. No, no, no. Don't use the F word. Don't say you forgot. Okay? Because you're not supposed to forget. Right? You're supposed to remember. Forgetfulness is a sin. And forgetfulness leads us into more sin. And I have to tell myself that too. Because I can forget as well. There's a corollary word that is used in the positive to this. And that is remember. Right? Do not forget, but instead remember. Right? Negative, positive. Do not forget, but instead remember. Over and over again, the Lord has this in His Word. As you're reading the Bible, and you come to forget, and you come to remember, circle these words every time you find them. Or if you don't want to take the whole Bible, just do it as you look through the book of Deuteronomy. Just read through Deuteronomy and look how often that these two words are used. Right? Just in our immediate context here, in the few ver- uh, chapters that are around ver- chapter 6, we have these words, forgetfulness or forget and remember, in 7.18, 8.2, 8.11, 8.14, 8.19, and so forth. Do you think He's trying to tell us something? Do you think the Lord might be telling us something when He uses these words over and over again? Maybe, it could be, I don't know. Maybe we forget. 
Maybe we need to remember. You get the same call to remember the Lord throughout Scripture and what He has done. Um, We are called to remember His acts, the things that He has done. We get this in Psalms. Here's a a couple places. Psalm 77, 11 to 12. Okay? Psalm 77, 11 to 12 says, I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate. That's think on. Remember. Meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Right? So we're called to remember. Psalm 78 says, this in Psalm 78 is going to recount, you know, kind of the Exodus event. Okay? And it says, Give ear, my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we've heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. Right? We are called to not hide these things from our children. That means we give these things to our children. We speak of them when we walk along the road and when we rise up and when we lie down, right? I will not hide them. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. Right? Deuteronomy 6. That the generation, this is why we tell them to our children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And that they may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Why? They forgot the Lord. They forgot His commandments. They were not thankful. And so if we or our children or our grandchildren forget the Lord our God then we are forgetting to teach our children to diligently keep the Lord's commands. Verse 17, back in Deuteronomy 6. And that means it will not go well with us. Verse 18. It will not go well with our children if they forget the commands of of the Lord. It's not going to go well with them. It's just not. And here's the point in verse 20. And this shows the covenantal bond that we have with our children and our sons, that when, not if, okay, but when they ask us the meaning of the statutes and testimonies and judgments, then God's people, fathers, then we tell them of the acts of the Lord our God, how He brought us out from Egypt, out from sin's hold on us, right? That's what Egypt was. It was, a, it was a sinful time for the Israelites. They were engaged in idolatry. They were enmeshed in sin in their slavery. And so how the Lord brought us out from Egypt out of sin's hold on us and did great things for His people. So when they ask of us, 
when our children ask of us, then we are required by God to have an answer for them. To remember the Lord. To tell of His covenant with His people. You tell them what they what you are commanded not to forget. And, and what's the promise with this? Is there any promise with this? Or is this this all command? No. Go to Deuteronomy 7.9. If you have your Bibles, you know, look at Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. We read this. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Right? Here's the promise of God. The Lord who makes covenant with His people and shows them mercy, those who remember Him, those who love Him and keep His commandments. Right? Does that sound familiar at all? Love me, keep commandments. Right? Who else said that? Who else said that? Anybody? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Who said that? Okay, thank you. <laughs> that, was a, that was a pretty easy Sunday school answer. <laughs> I guess no wonder John could get that. <laughs> uh, right? Jesus said that. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? And God's Word, through the Apostle John, says likewise in 1 John 5, 3. He says, for this is the love of God. John's been reflecting on this for, for decades now, right? He's been reflecting on what Jesus told him. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so John says this in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Right? Just like a child will obey his father out of love for the father. Right? And then John goes on to say, and he says, and His commandments are not, what? Burdensome. Burdensome. Right? We oftentimes think God's commands are burdensome to us. No, sin is a burden to us. It's because we're sinners and we want to be in sin, right? But that's truly the burden. That's the slavery that the, that the Israelites had in Egypt. That's what slavery does. That's what sin does. It enslaves us, right? But Jesus frees us from those sins. And so His commands, when we keep His commands, those are not burdensome. Those are life. Those are life. Deuteronomy 8.11 says very similarly, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments and His statutes which I command you today. Right? Again, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments. Right? Are you beginning to get the point? Right? You getting the point? Right? Don't forget. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget to keep His commandments. All right, so one more passage on this that shows 
that gathering together for worship and the reading of God's Word isn't just for adults. All right? And Caleb quoted this last night. He stole my thunder. <laughs> Moses says in Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 11, So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, and who are His people? Men and women and little ones and the stranger who is within your gates. You get that? Men, women, children, suckling babes, nursing infants, the stranger, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. In other words, God's people and the strangers in her midst gather together to hear God's Word, His law, read so that they can believe God, believe His testimonies, believe the acts that brought them out of Egypt and displayed His power. And I, I would throw in all of history into this category. Right? The study of history is a study of God's providence and how He works things out in time and space. Two main things to teach our children. Okay? There's two main subjects to teach our children. Reading, so they can read God's Word. And, what do you think? Math. No. <laughs> Not math. Oh, math's okay. It's okay, you know, until you get to algebra and start putting numbers and letters together and then I don't know what kind of evilness that is. <laughs> Right? Two subjects. Reading so they can read the, read the Bible and history. History so they can understand how God interacts with people in this world and the things that He does in this world. And you've got to look through it with eyes that come from the Scriptures so that we know, we can see, oh yes, this is what God's doing here because He did that in Deuteronomy. Or this is what God's doing here because that's what He did in the book of Exodus or in 1 Samuel or 1 Chronicles. We can see those patterns repeat over and over again, right? Because we're people and He's God. And then we can be awed at how He does amazing things, right? So, reading in history, every other subject's just icing. We hear God's word so that we believe in His merciful and loving covenant to trust Him and not doubt that they are His because. Christ's finished work on the cross. And Caleb covered that at the end last night very well. And so, why do children depart from the faith? Why do children depart from the faith? Because we forget to tell them about the Lord God. Because we forget to tell Him about His mighty acts. Because we forget to instill in them His law, His Word. And because of that, they forget Him as well. That's why they depart from the faith. Because when we forget Him, 
then we will always put something created in His place. Right? We always take some created things to put in in the place of God in worship because we all worship. Everyone worships something. We are worshiping people. Homo adorans. We worship. We worship all sorts of things that we ought not to, but everyone worships something. We either worship what is true or we worship that which is false and that which is in the place of God is an idol. And so we engage in idolatry. So, that's the basics of what I believe the reason children depart from the faith. Because we forget to teach them that they are the covenant, they are in the covenant of God, in a covenant family, in a covenant church. Now, what does the New Testament say about this? Right? We spent a lot of time in the Old Testament just now. I hope that's not a problem. <laughs> right? It is God's word, applicable to us today. So, we can go first to Ephesians 6, 1-4. through 4. So, if you have your Bibles, turn there. And we read this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Which is the first commandment with a promise. That it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The word that's there is the Greek word paideia, training in the Lord. Paideia. It's a great word. There's books been written about it. Right? It implies the complete enculturation of a child into the culture of what it means to be a Christian. It includes all the training, all the education. How things are done. Ethics, procedures, manners, biblical traditions. It is growing them up in the covenant community of the Lord. That is, growing them within the church as Christians, disciples of Christ. Right? Aren't we called to make disciples? Isn't that in the great commandment? That's what our children are to be. Disciples. Students of Christ. It is the Lord's way of doing things as outlined here in His Word. It is God's way. It is the New Testament version of what Deuteronomy 6 is. Right? This Ephesians 6, 1-4. through 4, And really, verse 4. It is in simplicity, Deuteronomy 6. Right? Couple these together and you have the full-orbed biblical view of child-rearing. Forget this. Right? Don't do this. Have wishful thinking that our children will turn out, even if we don't train them up in the Lord, all we do is come to church with them, hoping that through some sort of osmosis, Christianity will somehow stick to them. And our children will find other gods to worship, and they will depart from the faith. Pure and simple. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Don't train them and you provoke your children to wrath. Don't train them and you provoke your children to wrath. That is, the wrath of God comes down upon them because they aren't Christians. They aren't believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't brought them up in the faith. 
we have denied our responsibility. And so we go to Acts 2, 37 and 40. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came down and filled them and they spoke in the tongues of the Hellenized Jew, Jews of the dispersion who had grown up outside of Judea, and they were there hearing the apostles speak in their own tongues that they had grown up with in these other regions, here they are, amazed. And Peter explained to them, preached to them about what was happening and how this was a fulfillment of what the prophets had foretold would happen and that this was now fulfilled in the Messiah, Christ Jesus, whom they had crucified. And when they heard those words from Peter, we read in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Great question, right? And Peter said to them, repent. Repent. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? Did he stop there? That was last night's talk on individualism, right? Talked a lot about individualism, right? That's where we stop. Right? That's where we often stop. We stop at the individual. Right? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But Peter goes on and he says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord your God will call. <laughs> and with Many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I mean, could we say that about our generation? This promise given in Christ is for them. So be baptized in the name of Christ, just like people were circumcised in the Old Covenant in the name of the God of Abraham. This isn't just for you as an individual, but this promise is for you and your children. And all who are far off, the Gentiles who will believe, the people down the road in our time who will believe. Right? This is where we have covenant continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right? Where we deal with our children. Right? Mark them, your children, as Christians. Set them apart in your family as Christians. Treat your children like Christians unless they prove otherwise or prove apostate. And the mark that we do that with is baptism. Now I'm a Presbyterian and I know that might not be great in a church like this. <laughs> but that's what I see here. All right? To mark them apart. Baptism means something. And I don't think we get that. We don't oftentimes get that baptism means something and baptism of our children means something. All right? When you are in the Muslim countries, right? 
They don't care if you profess Christ with your mouth. Right? They don't really care if you profess Christ with your mouth. Sure, you can play your Christian games and stuff. Do all of that, fine. You know, we believe in Jesus too. (laughs) They say, right? But where it makes a difference, where you stand to lose your life is when you get baptized. That's when it matters. How come Muslims get that and we don't? Because they're saying, they see that that's a cut off. Right? From Islam. You are no longer a Muslim. You've been marked by Christ. Don't we want our children to be marked by Christ? Right? So treat our children like Christians unless they prove otherwise and prove apostate. But we should trust the Lord with our children. It's trusting by faith that the Lord will be true to his promises just like here in Acts, right? That we should trust the Lord with our children and we raise them in the faith by faith. We raise them in faith by faith that they will not depart from it. Again, a promise from the Lord, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. Right? So we follow Scripture. We raise our children in the faith. We call them to be faithful Christians in the covenant people of God. And we disciple them as Christians. Call them to repent of breaking the law of God when they do so. Just like we would to adults. Just like we would to each other. Right? We, we treat our children as Christians And then we call them to repent when they sin. I mean, it's kind of a novel thing. And don't raise children in a culture of doubt. Right? Where they're always, and when we're, sometimes we're asking them, are you really a Christian? Are you really a Christian? And we often go along with this, how are you proving that you're a Christian? Right? And so that raises all sorts of doubts and confusion in our children. No, rather raise them by faith, trusting that God is true when he says in his word through the inspired Peter, for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. He who began a good work will see it through to completion. Do we believe God in his word? So, why do children depart from the faith? Just in summary, we forget God and forget to train them up in the faith. We forget the law of God that Jude talks about, that that he is exhorting us and our children to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Right? We forget that. We forget to contend. Contend. I mean, that's not just sitting back and resting and relaxing, right? Contending is like being in a boxing match, right? So that's first. Don't, you know, forgetting. Why do children depart from the faith? Because of forgetfulness. And secondly, we treat them as aliens in the faith. 
We treat them as aliens to the faith sometimes. That they aren't part of the covenant people of God. We don't baptize them and mark them off as the covenant people of God. We don't mark them as Christians and involve them in the Lord's Supper as baptized Christians. We don't expect them to act or live like Christians in our family. We don't expect them to. We don't demand that from them. And when we do that, we're not making disciples. Do you want to see your children grow up in the faith? Right? Do you? I know you do. I know you do. Then train them up diligently. Use that word, diligently. I am to be diligent about this. Train them up to know the Lord, to worship Him, and worship Him alone. Right? To worship Him. That is the pinnacle of what we do every week. Worship. Lord's Day worship together as a corporate body, as a covenant community. Worship the Lord and renew covenant with Him. And so have faith in God that He will set your children apart in the faith as you raise them in the faith. Right? And understand that you will mess up. You will mess up. And that's where we also live by faith with our mistakes. And we trust the Lord that He will still do what is faithful and right and true with our children because He is faithful even when we are not. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You for Your Word which is true and right. We pray that You would give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding to take these things that You lay out in Your Word and that You would strengthen us and equip us for the day in which You have placed us to do battle in this day because it is a day in which we need to be warriors for You to be strong in You. Lord, strengthen us, keep us, fill us. Oh Lord, we pray by Your grace and mercy. Oh Lord, You are one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.